0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. Tonight we'll be discussing the new missions that were released in the Seamon uh, article on their uh, page. So if you haven't seen it yet, definitely go check that out. You can find it at Seamon Ice and Fire. Uh, if you just type that in, it should bring you to the link because they do have their CIMON website, which will have uh, a lot of their CIMON, uh products but there's uh, another link that will take you to the Song of Ice and Fire uh, almost exclusively. Um, So on there, you'll be able to look at the latest article, which is called Holiday Update. If you go in there, you'll not only be able to find uh, the missions that we're going to be going over, but the rulebook and a bunch of changes to units. Um, so I definitely suggest going to check that out, and you know, reading the article because there's a lot of awesome stuff in there. Uh, excuse me, just got done eating. Um, so, and then another uh, a thing to go look for is uh, on the table gaming. Also has an a uh, of what you call it a podcast with Michael Chenal on it, talking about a lot of these changes. It's a it's a bit longer, you know, kind of. You know, just as long as one of ours I guess uh so if you're used to our episodes, you'll definitely be able to get down with listening to that uh podcast, but it has a lot of insight and they give a couple uh a couple spoilers on there that uh you wouldn't get through just uh some of the stuff that's been circling around so uh we're gonna save some of those spoilers that they've mentioned for Sunday show where we will talk about the uh, rules changes, and the rule book itself. Tonight, uh, just submissions, and then we're going to kind of roll into that as well with the terrain keywords and the way terrain has slightly changed. Uh, not too drastic of changes, but we're going to kind of cover that in here. Um, that way Sunday's show isn't ridiculously long. But with that said, uh, tonight I have with us Chris, Craig, and Justin, uh, my co-hosts, thank you guys so much for coming on. You're all, right. all right. So first off, I wanted to discuss the terrain because I think we'll be able to get that out of the way. I just kind of want to go over uh, what has changed. Now I'm going to read through them all just in case I might have missed. Uh, you know, I might think that it's the same, but it might be different. So I'm just going to read through all the keywords. Uh, so first we have block. Blocks line of sight. Line of sight may not be traced through this terrain piece by units not inside this terrain piece. Cover is when tracing line of sight for ranged attacks. Line of sight may not be traced through this terrain piece by units not inside this terrain piece. Uh, So let's see. Are those the same? I feel like they're... Essentially, it's the same, the same when you just read them. <laughs> so, Well, cover
1: has more words in it, but it sounds oh. like it's the same thing. Yeah, so it's, it's saying the same thing, but I assume the bonus is going to be... No, I don't know. No, is that all it says? Right? Line of
0: sight may not be traced through this terrain piece by units not inside this terrain piece. And then, when tracing line of sight for ranged attacks, Uh, One brain specifically.
2: Hmm. I I think the function's the same. It's just more wordier to explain it better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if I don't know. uh, It's something I'm sure they'll clear clear up because they're basically the same thing. That I don't necessarily think that they need both these keywords, but maybe I'm missing something. Uh, There's probably something I'm missing, some interaction that I'm missing that. Uh, maybe that's why it is. But regardless, I'm sure they'll, they'll clear it up, um, or maybe this was just an oversight. Uh, but moving on to dangerous, when units perform actions while in this terrain piece suffer D3 plus 1 wounds before resolving the action, units moving into this terrain piece suffer D3 plus 1 wounds. Units only suffer damage once during a charge. Uh, so. Okay. That's important to note because I think it it'll tell you basically that every action you do is going to trigger this piece uh, with the exception of a charge. Um, So that I think that little flavor text will tell you that, uh, you know, if you're doing multiple actions, you are taking the damage. It's just charges were not meant to be that way because. A charge is and isn't all one action. Um, it's uh, it's basically two actions lumped into one is, I guess, the best way to put it because you are making a melee attack, but you're also getting the the charge move. So it's a good thing that they added that in there so there's won't be uh, confusion. Uh, destructible, while in one inch of this terrain piece, Units may perform a melee attack action, targeting it to automatically remove it from play. Um, So still can't charge into it because it is not a valid target for a charge. Uh, So you're going to have to start your action within one inch. Elevated, units on this terrain piece may ignore intervening units and terrain when making ranged attacks. Fortified, if the attacker moved through or ended on this terrain piece during a charge, the defender gains plus one to their defense dice rolls. Hindering, if the attacker moved through this or ended on this terrain piece during a charge, they do not gain their charge bonus. Horrific, while within short range of this terrain piece, units suffer minus one to morale test rolls. Impassable, units may not pivot over but otherwise never move in into through or end overlapping this terrain piece that i say may not pivot um units may pivot so uh i'm not sure if i said that wrong but they can pivot so if it's uh like a palisade they'll be able to pivot over it but um you have to make sure that your pivot ends off of it before you start moving um because you're only allowed to pivot through it uh inspiring While within short range of this terrain piece, units gain plus one to morale test rolls, and rough units moving into, out of, or through this terrain piece subtract one inch from the total distance they would move. So a little, uh, I think, clarification on the way they're uh, supposed to be played, but overall I think uh, not much changing. Uh, Hindering, obviously it's not... uh, um, not going to be uh your disorderly on ones and twos um so now it's just you won't get their uh, charge bonus so essentially the rerolls on your attack and they changed it to where uh if you ended on it same way as if uh like with the um, what word was or what uh piece was it? it was the stone wall had uh had one of the keywords i think what's it called I think it was fortified, uh, where if as long as you touched it, it triggered. Um, let's see if fortified does that still. Uh, yeah, so fortified will still do that. But it's nice that hindering also does that. So no more can you like pivot in such a way, touch the unit's tray, and then align onto the piece and avoid the hindering keyword. It's still going to trigger if you then align onto it, uh, which I like. I It did seem a little gamey how you could – avoid a piece just for the charge and then align onto it and still not trigger it. So, uh, so this is nice. I think before you couldn't really do that because of the rolling a one or two for disorderly, because it was different, but now because it's just stopping the charge bonus, it's, uh, you can kind of word it that way without uh, confusion. Um, otherwise I, you know, it's nice, you know, elevator was already there, but it wasn't on any pieces. Uh, so going to the pieces themselves, the forest has cover and fortified, which is nice because I believe uh before it just had uh the minus one move and then cover. But being fortified is nice because I mean it is a bunch of trees. Um so fortified again is if the attacker moved through or ended on during during a charge the defender would get plus one to the defense dice during the for the attack. Um so I do definitely like that. It makes the piece a lot more um, useful for not only cover for the ranged attacks, but fortified just in general uh, for melee attacks. Uh, the werewolf tree is still just inspiring. Um, so plus one morale, palisade, block, line of sight, destructible, passable. Same for that. Uh, course pile is hindering and horrific. Uh, so minus one to your morale and hindering being now they don't get, uh, uh, charge bonuses which is nice that it's not um, a bunch of keywords stacked on top of each other it's no longer so good of a piece that it shines above everything else now it's just no no rerolls essentially on your charge and minus one to morale it's not going to give that minus one move for rough and uh no like ones and twos for disorderly so um it's not going to hinder your movement in any way it's just going to be harder for you to hit your opponent. Um, the bog is now hindering and rough. So this piece will have the minus one for the movement and the no, uh, rerolls on your charge stakes are dangerous and destructible. I believe are the same as it was before, uh, stone wall, destructible, fortified and hindering. So again, hindering, no rerolls on the charge, uh, destructible and fortified, um, are the same keywords I had before. Uh, but important thing to note about Fortified is I believe before it was uh, you didn't get um, rerolls either. You got a plus one defense save and re- uh, no rerolls for the attacker. So now it's just plus one to your defense dice. It no longer gives that uh, no rerolls. But uh, the walls did uh, gain hindering, uh, which essentially is that ability. So it's still going to provide the same effects it's just two different effects giving that one uh, ability that fortified head before and then the last piece hedge cover, destructible and rough with the exception of the keywords changing or no I guess it didn't have cover before so that's nice um, it'll definitely give some more options to um, stopping kind of range or not stopping but uh, helping against range attacks which from what, uh, we've been hearing range is going to be a big component in the new, uh, you know, not new edition. It's definitely not, uh, from what they said 2.0, but you know, the new, like the revamp of a lot of things. Uh, so that'll be nice. So overall I like the changes. Uh, I like that they've kind of diversified the terrain pieces, but one important thing to note that they talk about, uh, in the podcast for on, on the table gaming is that, uh, they like, they would like to see people kind of create their own keywords for pieces and agree upon things. The only reason they have it the way it is, is to kind of give suggestions and for competitive play, which is nice. You know, it's nice to have that in there. So, you know, you don't have people kind of complaining at what the TO might make for something, but uh, you know, they definitely encourage, you know, kind of agreeing upon what keywords you kind of want to see, especially in, uh, in, um, Pickup games and whatnot, and casual games. Also, one thing uh, you know, I've been uh, contemplating about doing is creating my own pieces. You know, they have that elevated keyword, which would be awesome to see on some pieces. I know if you have the 3D terrain, they do have like a big hill piece. So I'm looking at making because uh, I do have the 2D mat terrain, which if you guys haven't uh, seen already, uh, you can go to playmats.eu. They sell Uh, sets of the 2D mat terrain which is amazing if you've got like a mat um, board the uh, the mat on mat just makes it so the piece is not going to move around and it's pretty affordable It's like, I mean I could be wrong by a little bit but I'm pretty sure it's roughly $25 for a set and a set will come with two of each piece of which you'll have two of the same stake, two of the same wall hedge and palisade but the forest, the bog, the course pile, and the werewood tree, you'll have one of each size. So you know how the Night's Watch and whatnot are different from the Lannister pieces. You'll get one bigger tree, one smaller tree, one bigger course pile, one smaller, and so on for the forest and bog. So definitely go check that out. But anyways, I'm probably going to be talking with them about getting like a 2D uh, hill made. Maybe like a castle um, tower. So like a bigger piece maybe around the size of a weirwood tree, maybe just barely bigger, uh, where, like, a whole unit could fit inside of it, and it's just like a a boosted um, low wall. But, um, you know, just stuff like that, you know, just kind of being able to add some more pieces to the game and even create maybe some more combination of uh, keywords. Anyways, uh, so with that said, I know I've been kind of talking a while. Uh, Justin, what do you
1: kind of think of the overall terrain and everything. Uh, so I wanted to ask a question first. There was one that was elevated. Is that only on the like Storm of Swords mission? I've never elevated. elevated.
0: Keyword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's actually the only piece that it is tied to is the uh, two. If you had the 3D terrain uh, or like the yeah 3D terrain or like uh, that they had for the. Yeah, they had this big like gray like rocky hill and oh. that keyword was a part of that, but it was never released in any of the starters as a 2D version. So that's why I was saying it'd be cool to kind of like create uh a 2D version of that piece and finally get like the the elevated keyword in there cuz
1: that'd be really cool. Oh, okay. Well, that answers that I would like that keyword tremendously. Uh, and like you had said earlier about them wanting people to kind of make their own like keyword combinations and keywords, maybe um, that would, well, I think it's keyword combination on terrain, but I would like to see a lot more keywords added to the game too, just to give a variety as long as I can maintain balance. But this shows a, um, that they're like, okay with changing terrain subtly. So uh, I, I like, I like that they're willing to change it. Cause for the most part, I would think, terrain before was probably not one of the most argued over things. I think it was pretty cut and dry. There were clear winners over others. Um, so this hopefully will make it to where, you know, you're not, if you're doing the random table, you're not dreading getting a specific role or whatever. Like they're all <laughs> fairly well balanced. Bogs aren't just the king of the king, kings of Kings or whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would like to, I would definitely like to see some, some more pieces, more keywords. Uh, But I think uh, what they've given us is a good mixture, a good amount that I think that, uh, you know, they want us to kind of fill in the rest. Maybe I'm just assuming there, but I think maybe they want us to kind of, if we want more pieces or more keywords that we can kind of just add it. And
1: this is just kind of a a template of, you know, a place to start. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so I like it, Uh, I don't think it's some of the biggest changes, but it's, it's nice that, uh, once again, that they're terrifying this, the deadly thing. So that, that that's nice. So people aren't arguing if they're charging, if they're taking, you know, eight wounds. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it would be nice though, if it was maybe, uh, dependent on, uh, ranks would be really cool um i mean it's not bad the way it is i think just uh it can get kind of i guess i guess uh, i'm making an argument against myself i was going to say it makes it really dangerous but (laughs) that's its keyword but it would be cool if it was based on how many ranks because you know the more people you have the more that are getting caught in this piece so if it was just like, take one wound for every you know rank you have for every action. That way you can, you could essentially do multiple actions and not potentially like kill yourself. But, um, as you start to die more, it'll become less dangerous because you have less people that need to worry about maneuvering around the piece. But I don't know, maybe just one, one for every rank plus one, that way it still could do a max of four, but I don't know. Uh, I'm just kind
1: of being nitpicky maybe. right there. I think uh where is it? Maybe I'm maybe I'm a hater, but uh I think ranks is fine until you look at cavalry. I think cavalry should always take more damage from something that's dangerous terrain. It's definitely hard to move a horse over any type of dangerous terrain whether it be palisade or spikes or rocky broken ground or swampy mud. Like plus cavalry still have a really good advantage in this game, so it'd be nice not to benefit them. <laughs> Hey, you yeah, I take less wounds. That's, that's right. <laughs> but I mean, they. Yeah, I, I guess it would be a lot sense. of text too if they wanted to like change it, like like less wounds or less ranks, the better. Unless you're cavalry, and then you're still screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I I could definitely see it staying the way it is, and um,
0: you know, that way it kind of deters cavalry. Uh, but yeah, uh, so. What about you, Craig? What are you kinda of thinking of the terrain?
3: To piggyback on what you're saying about dangerous, um, it seems like a lot of effects in this version of the game do hinge on ranks. So I'm actually kinda of surprised that Dangerous doesn't. Um Lannister Supremacy, for example, does. So but some of the message. Yeah, horrific visage is another one. So that tells me that a lot of things are going to key off of ranks. So I'm surprised that didn't carry over to dangerous. But something else that stands out to me is uh the they uh a lot of these uh train pieces no longer slow down your movement, which I'm a big fan of because I don't like going slow. So I really <laughs> like that change. <laughs> But hindering, man, that's that's rough. Now,
0: that's the other thing. No, it's hindering. I'm not
3: against it. Yeah, I'm not against rough as I, I rough. Like not
0: hindering. <laughs> <laughs> Just right. giving you crap. Is <laughs> one of the keywords. I know. Yeah, <laughs>
3: you, you're a rough crowd. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that uh, that hinder that change makes it a lot more. You know, before you lose an inch, okay, maybe I don't make my charge. Maybe I do. But now, you know, you don't get bonuses at all.
1: So that, yeah, especially uh, that's with quite a game changer.
0: Yeah, especially with a lot of things going to four up to hit, from what they've been saying. I mean, not, you really got to get those rerolls to help with that four up. But, you know, with a lot of these pieces, you know, fortified, uh, giving them plus one to their save, hindering for no rerolls.
1: Um, what is it? But... I feel like there's another piece. That gave no rerolls, but a lot of
0: pieces have hindering.
1: But hindering doesn't do the minus two dice, or I mean, two dice doesn't charge with the minus one movement, right? And then ones and twos are disorderly. So, depending oh, on the situation, good... being able to play a card could be way more valuable and knowing that you're going to unless you roll a one, and now you have like a 75% chance better, or, or I don't know. Like, instead of rolling two dice and looking for ones and twos, so you know, you have what, what would that be, a 66% chance of getting a disorderly charge at that point?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I forgot about having to roll two dice. I was just thinking of Disorderland ones of twos. So yeah, I, as, you're, as you're saying, I would actually gladly run over Hindering, even though it's a lot more likely it's going to trigger because it's moved through or end on. Uh, but if I can play my Texas cards and I know I'm going to at least get into that combat, and not have to keep failing these charges because I have such a high chance of failing, I think that's probably what they were thinking. They are probably thinking, you know, we want you guys to get in combat. We want you to do your thing, but you're going to have an auto bad thing. They also want people to be able to get in
1: there. Also, people being able to play their tactics cards is really important instead of just having to hold on to them. Um, so now you have a much greater chance of using one involved with the attack that you needed to get off. In fact, you're almost mm-hmm. always going to, unless you roll that dreaded one. Poor guy. Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, anything else you wanted to add to that, uh, Craig? No. No, I don't think
1: so. Well, Thunder, I'm here to help.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, Chris, how about you? I know terrain is your favorite thing in this game.
2: I do love me some terrain, and I think the nice thing about this possible customization one is I'll just make terrain that's just called, like, open field and have no keywords on it, so then when we do that random thing, it's just open field instead <laughs> of this stuff.
0: Yeah, but, your favorite locations is to place them at the edges of the field.
2: <laughs> like a road. If, or if I'm playing Free Folk, I put the Weirwood tree in the middle because their morale is poor to begin with. And it's like <laughs> my one saving grace. But it usually gets countered with tons of corpse piles because you all like those things for some reason. Yeah,
0: at least they're not as crazy good as they were before. Now they're a lot more tame. And they're different than the Bog. Because you know, before, the Bog was a corpse pile without the minus one, so it was like uh, the bog. If you're picking train, was almost never picked because just picking the corpse pile just ended up being more beneficial.
1: That's the bog. But now they've made them. Here.
0: Yep. But now they've made them different enough, while similar, um, that you know they both have merit.
2: Not for right. Chris. Well, I mean, in all seriousness, with these things, I think these changes will help, you know, give some incentive to using some of these other less commonly used ones. And a little more tactics will be involved. And, you know, at some point we're going to see the whole picture here. And I'm sure this will play into the much larger scheme of things that they have going in the up or revamped rules.
0: Yep. And so, lastly, to kinda talk about the um randomized tables uh if I'm not mistaken, it is the same as it was before uh small thing I would like to say I'd like to see changed is maybe just swap uh bog and forest with like hedge and wall just because with uh five, six, eight, and nine being like right packed in the middle. Uh, granted seven is the most common role and it is player's choice I can't uh, can't tell you how many games I've played in the last however many months and it's almost always destructible terrain I think they're cl- the destructible terrain is just kind of clustered too much granted you know that's you could always house rule it to be you know different and you can always uh, do pick your own terrain but um I, don't know, I, I think I would just like to see Forest at num- that is currently number 10 be like number 8 and see Bog which is number 4 be like number 6 because um, uh, in, in my games Forest and Bog are almost never seen it's always the Destructibles and the or course pile like the, the 4 and the 10 seem to be the very least rolled uh, by anyone but I don't know if I'm not mistaken, they might actually be the same chance of rolling them, but I don't know. Um, it's just kind of how it's played out for, for my games. Do you guys know if uh, if there's any difference between 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, the chances of rolling those numbers on 2D6? No, it's
1: not. Oh, bad. I don't know. I could Google it, but that sounds like a lot of work at the moment. <laughs>
0: I think they the same uh, chance of rolling it, but I could be wrong. Because um, I know seven is by far the most uh, rolled number. And then obviously, of course, Pound and Weirwood Tree have two different, you know, two or three, eleven or 12. So they're obviously a higher chance than the other ones. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Something to kind of look up. It just seems like Bog and forest are rolled the
1: least and I just my games are always destructible terrain which is a little annoying I but, can completely uh, agree that the games are like always destructible I hate it it drives me nuts it's just tiny pieces <laughs> everywhere yep and it's, then it's Dave nice when
0: you like rolling like yeah it always spikes underneath an objective it's pretty funny <laughs> but uh, I think we can kind of move on to missions um, I thought I had it up let me Pull it up real quick. Mm -hmm. Game modes. So with the game modes, I believe there is, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Ten total missions, nine of which have been approved for tournament play. Uh, I have to say, like, a general overview of all the missions, I love them all. Uh, I think Simon did an amazing job with with the missions and how everything has kind of changed a bit. I don't think any one mission is identical in every way. Uh, I think there's at least a very small change to each one um, from what I remember looking through them. But uh, we'll just kind of do them in order. Uh, First, Game of Thrones. So uh, a common theme you will see with... uh, with all the missions is that all objectives are pre-placed all and almost all, uh, deployments are exactly 10 inches. So no longer are you going to see 12 inch or six inch deployments. And I think that's an awesome compromise. I think 12 was fine. Um, I don't, there wasn't necessarily anything wrong with 12, uh, except for, you know, maybe just cavalry getting into the fight way too quick um, compared to other things, but I think it was more so the six inch, uh, deployment that was tend to be the problem for a lot of, uh, slower armies. You know, it, it would be like turn three before they really started doing anything, um, in my experience. So I think 10 inches, uh, is a nice compromise it's only taking two off of the 12th deployment while adding four inches to the six inch deployment while also making every mission have enough space that you can put two uh, rows of infantry so if you're free folk and you have a ton of uh, units you have plenty of space now to fit everything if you so wish um, Now, they still have the rule, I believe, that if you can't fit anything, that they'll go in reserve and they'll come on uh, next round um, within the deployment zone uh, activated. So if you intentionally put your guys in such a way where nothing else can fit, they'll come on round two and they'll come on anywhere within your deployment uh, but fully activated, which I think is fine um, because it works out to be roughly the same Thing. maybe you, you doing that will actually lose uh, distance if you were to march with your front front row your back row should be able to march past what your max deployment is so I think doing that would only hurt you now whereas before you know it could be beneficial anyways so with game of Thrones we have for uh, deployment 10 inches for each side setup is place one objective token in the center of the table then place the four additional tokens as shown above so 18 inches from deployment and sixes from the edges uh, from each flank table edge. So a nice, you know, a nice uh, preset uh, objectives. Special rules uh, are before deployment, randomly draw one card from the objective deck, place it face up near each objective. That is the ability of the token for this game. A unit ending a move within its trait entirely overlapping a token claims it. A unit controls a token is claimed as long as it is not engaged by an enemy combat with more remaining ranks than it. The moment, the moment this happens, it immediately stops controlling that token. So, uh, solo's units count as having remaining ranks equal to their remaining wounds for controlling and contesting objectives. Tokens that are not entirely overlapped by unit tray are not claimed and not controlled by any unit. So uh, that's another common th- theme you'll see in a lot of the missions uh, is all the rules. I pretty much besides the random uh, objective card being placed near an objective, the controlling aspect will be the same in a lot of other missions. So I'll just kind of mention that uh, instead of reading through all of it for the other missions and then special scoring beginning of round two, each player scores one victory point for each objective they control at the end of each round. Objectives controlled by your army's commander grant one victory point or grant one additional victory point so uh, one important thing to note is with each objective being exactly 18 inches uh, up from uh, the board edges uh, it looks like the center of the objective, so not the tip of the objective meaning if they're both 18 that leaves you with uh, 12 inches between them but because there's about a half an inch each that's really only like 11 inches away from each other Uh, if your unit moves fast enough, you could easily leave your objective, uh, especially if it's cavalry, get that free, let's let's just say, average five-inch movement for a cavalry off of it. And now you're, what, seven inches away uh, or so, and that's roughly a two or better to charge with nothing really hindering your movement anymore other than, like, maybe minus one for uh, rough terrain. That means, you know, you could easily leave an objective and go attack another objective, you know, a unit on another objective fairly easily, which is which is pretty nice because um, I had made the critique in another video where we talked about the beta missions, how one mission, the objectives were so far from each other that trying to leave an objective to go to another objective to stop a unit from doing something, it would have taken so long that they will gradually you know, outscore you while they just wait for you to get to them. So I think this is actually a nice improvement. Uh, it makes things have to kind of be near each other and not kind of off out into, you know, middle of nowhere, not having to worry about anything. So uh, what do you guys think? Uh, we'll start
2: with you, Chris. Sorry, I'm myself. I think... <laughs> anything that gets you closer to battle is a good thing. The fact that, like you were just saying, that you can come off of an objective to go attack something else, I fully support that, because I'm all about fighting things. <laughs> the only no, downside here in this mission, I would say, is that they have objectives and it's not just like a slaughter. <laughs> Yeah, but that's going to be that my just, critique of every mission minus like fire and blood. And didn't you see fire and blood has objectives? Well, I haven't read that far. I'm only reading as far as we're I'm going joking. Right now.
0: <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> it does not have objectives.
2: Oh, <laughs> yes. I would have to find a new favorite mission. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. I, <laughs> no, I, I it
0: does not have cool. objectives. Perfect. Yeah, I agree. I like it a lot. Uh, I'm going to have to kind of take a quick um, pause uh, and mention the new objective cards. So I, there was 10, there's currently 10 objective cards and there are going to be 10 new objective cards and I like them um, all but one. And that's something that I didn't necessarily see until me and Justin were playing around with the new objective cards and he pointed it out, but they are labeled one oh. through 10. Uh, and, uh, some of the missions will tell you to use specific ones. Uh, where, in, where is in the mission we're talking about right now, uh, Game of Thrones? They are uh, um, you randomly choose between all ten. So the first one is uh, when you score. Uh, from this objective one friendly unit long range of the unit controlling this objective restores one wound plus one wound for each of its destroyed ranks So essentially is very similar to the restored d3 Because um, you can only get a max of three. It's just a lot less random It's just going to heal based on how hurt you are Next one is when it you score points from this objective one friendly unit and long range of the controlling unit uh, may controlling this objective may shift three when you score points for the objective, one enemy in long range uh, controlling this objective becomes panicked. When you score points for this objective, one enemy in long range of the unit controlling the objective becomes vulnerable. Uh, while you control this objective, you gain plus one tax card hand size and plus one draw uh, to – and draw plus one card when refilling your hand. And then the next three uh, is when you control it, you get sundering. When you control it, you get – Vicious and when you control it, you get precision. All three of those are different cards. Uh, that's six, seven, and eight. Number nine is when controlling this objective, when the unit is performing a melee attack before resolving the attack, the defender becomes weakened. Uh, and then the last one, objective 10, this is the one that I kind of uh, that Justin pointed out to me is while controlling this objective, this unit always rolls its highest attack die value. So uh, could trigger sometimes in very rare situations, but as Justin pointed out to me, is that if you are controlling it, um, you have to have equal or more ranks than your opponent to then attack with your highest, but if you have equal or more, I mean a lot of the times you're going to be at full anyways attacking your highest value unless you're one of the uh, I think the only unit in the game, which is Berserkers, which get more attacks as they go down. uh, A lot of, a lot of cases you're going to have less dice or sorry, you're going to have less ranks and not get the effect anyways. So I think this one though, will still trigger every so often it, I don't know. It seems like the easiest weak link of all 10 of these. What do you think, Justin kind of, I guess to elaborate on what we had discussed Um, Justin, you still there? Um, Justin uh, messaged me. He had to go do something real quick. So, uh, Chris, what do you kind of think of these objective cards? They seem a lot more killy and they kind of seem right up your alley.
2: Yeah, anytime that I can kill more things, I support them. Um, (laughs) I like the fact that Some of those missions, it just automatically tells you which ones to play. Which I think during tournaments and whatnot, it'll be more helpful because it's just standard across the board. It's not like one game's going to be whatever, just luck of the draw or whatnot. It's going to be across the board. So I think that's going to be very helpful.
0: What about you, Craig?
2: Uh, Well,
3: in reference to that number 10 card you talked about. Um, it's in Fire and Blood, and it it stays on the unit the entire game, no matter how many ranks it has. So I don't think it's designed... I mean, you will have that problem in the Game of Thrones scenario, but I think it'll be a really good card in Fire and Blood.
1: That's yeah, I was point. actually and going to mention that. Off. What was that, Justin? I was gonna I was gonna mention that. I had to step away, but my response to Dave's question would have been in the objectives that you stay still and contest them based off of ranks, it's very bad, but it could be very useful in objectives where you control the token uh and you only lose it if you like fail panic tests or whatever. We'll actually get to those. Uh
0: they actually changed those. So so uh I believe um Just to kind of go out of order real quick, just for the sake of talking about this, it's, uh, if you fail a panic test or is destroyed, uh, you'll pass the token or after completing a melee attack on a unit controlling an objective, if the attacker has more remaining ranks than the defender, they claim the token. So no longer is it just panic or die. If you end up having less ranks, you're going to basically, you know, fumble the token onto the attacker.
1: Oh boy. So, so it's in my statement. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well the funny
0: thing is is that if you have more ranks, you'll take the token and now you I guess if you're at two ranks attack at that more. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's
1: it's,
0: <laughs> it's situational. So but yeah,
1: if you're attacking yeah, one you are or, one. like one rank to one rank, you got it. If you're attacking two ranks or even ranks or if you're at two ranks is the only time that it's useful. In that situation. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's a mixture.
0: So I, like you were saying, Craig, it's definitely, you know, in fire and blood um, and I think even maybe a clash of Kings. I don't know if that's one of the cards you get, but uh, yeah, in those situations where it's like just on you for a while and you don't have to like actually control an objective to get its effect. That's definitely an amazing effect as long as like, obviously you've lost ranks, but uh, yeah, I think still overall, like in the grand scheme of all the missions and all the objective cards, it's still, I think kind of the weak link, but uh, I mean, any benefit is still, you know, a plus. So, um, so, I mean, it's not like poor design. I think it's just, there's always going to be kind of a a weak link. So I think, uh, you know, it's still going to have its place. Anyway, so going back to uh, Game of Thrones, um, kind of continue on with uh, Craig. What do you kind of think of uh, Game of Thrones' mission?
3: Uh, It was always one of my favorite missions, but the change um, where the objectives are now stationary as far as players don't place them, I prefer that because you have situations where... Uh, your opponent will put them all on the same side of the table and hope to win the game simply by winning the opening roll-off. That actually happened yep. to me in Indy. In my first game up there, my opponent tried that. But all the objectives on my side of the table, then he won the roll-off. So there were no objectives on my side of the table. And not, not to gripe too much, the game still went in my favor, but just the fact that that was part of the game to begin with was a little frustrating and I'm glad that that's been removed. It it feels like they're trying to get rid of anything that could be negative play and make everything uh, on a more even footing.
0: And that's I really good. like yeah, it. And, and I actually like losing the role for who places the objective first, because I am in the boat that I try to make the tokens as even as possible if my opponent places one on their side i place it on my side then they place another on their side i place another on my side because i don't want it to come down to that one dice roll to see who's going to win or get an easy lead so i always try to make it as fair as possible um just because i don't like you know leaving it up to chance um now in a friendly game, it might be different. I might be like, aha, let's see if we can do this funny thing. Especially if terrain is, you know, terrain's placed first. If they try to lopside the terrain on one, I'll try to maybe lopside the objectives on the opposite to kind of, you know, kind of counter it and be like, you know, are you going to really, you know, stay on the side with the bad terrain? Or are you going to, you know, stand, you know, change it up? So I definitely like how they've made it a lot more balanced and, you know, it also speeds up the game, too. You know, you don't have to add the step of, you know, okay, let's see roll to see who plays the first piece, and then you play, side place. You know, it's just kind of already set, and we know where everything is. What do you think, Justin?
1: Uh, I couldn't. I really don't have really done anything to add to that, because I completely agree. I mean, if I've never been one who wants to just win a game based off of a dice roll, I would go gamble, I think, if I wanted to do that. Um, but <laughs> it's definitely nice that you don't ever have to worry about. And maybe, maybe I can get a mat that has like, I don't know, pre-placed spots for objectives. So I don't ever have to measure anything saves time. That'd be
0: awesome. I've definitely working with, uh, I get my mats through urban mats, um, dot com, I think is what it is. They have some amazing mats and, uh, I'm probably going to see if I can get, uh, the, like a custom mat made where it's like all preset, like 10 inch deployments already set. And, uh, you know, and it could just be like very, very, uh, faint outlines that way it doesn't like distract too much from, you know, the cool art on the, on the mat, but just enough to where it just speeds up games. Like, okay, here, 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 like, you don't have to measure like any of the pre, uh, game stuff
1: so that's
0: that would definitely be really nice um kind of moving on uh i think probably my new what's gonna be my new favorite mission a clash of kings uh it's hard to tell because uh just you know everyone listening i have only gotten to play i think uh game of thrones out of all these new missions but they're not too different that uh you know uh that you would need to play through all of them. Kind of like we did with the beta missions. We made sure to play through all of them before we kind of did the show. These are just changed just slightly enough that they're different, but that you don't need to play through them all to really understand them completely. But a clash of Kings is now again, 10 uh, inches for deployment and then still three objectives. Um, the two, uh, you have the center, and then you have two side objectives, which are uh, in the center as well, but six away from each board edge, of the flank board edges. So Bush rules are take objectives cards six through ten before deployment, beginning with whoever is not the first player. Players will alternate selecting from these objectives until each player has two. So to kind of briefly talk about six through ten, that is the sundering, the vicious, the precision, making doing a melee attack and making someone weakened, and then the highest attack die value. Is that right? Only five of them? Okay, yeah, so one will not be chosen because each player will get two. Um, So, and you'll alternate with who is not the first player picking. Um, When your commander's unit activates, you may select one of these cards. Until the end of the round, your commander's unit gains the effects listed on that card as if they were controlling an objective. Each effect may only be used once per game. At the start of each round, beginning with the first player, if your commander and their unit have been destroyed, you may de- redeploy them fully within a friendly deployment zone or fully within six from any flank table edge. So before I move on to the special rules and special scoring, I think that's An amazing uh, special rules. It still adds that kind of redeployment value that Clash of Kings used to have where you could redeploy everything, but just for the commander, and it really suits the name. You know, Clash of Kings, it's your commander versus their commander. I mean, this is... I mean, this is a huge boon to uh, NCU commanders for this mission. If you don't have... A commander on the field you are not going to get to redeploy them over and over and over and that's even a boon to have even one list be uh ncu commander because you know being forced to take a list because it's it's such a bad you know thing to have an ncu commander in this mission that it's really only leaving you one option you know if you have two lists and um because not only are you boosting them with the uh um objective cards. It is also, you know, you don't get to redeploy. So I think that's huge. And I think just the emphasis around your commander is amazing. I I think this is probably going to be my new favorite. So we'll we'll see where that goes. Um but before I get to you guys, I'm just going to wrap up with the special rules and special scoring. A unit ending, uh special rules is a unit ending, a move within it within its tray entirely overlapping a token. So there the tokens are Uh, controlled the same way as in uh, Game of Thrones, completely uh, on on it, and uh, based on ranks, solos, uh, wounds, count as controlling, and contesting. If you're not completely over it, then you don't have it. Special scoring, beginning of round two, players score one victory point for each token they control. Commanders give plus one victory point when they're controlling one. Score one victory point each time your commander's unit destroys an enemy with an ability or an attack. Uh, gain plus two victory points the first time your your uh, enemy commander is destroyed. So, yeah, I think uh, think this is very well done. I think it's a very good change to the what I consider kind of one of the more lopsided uh, missions uh, as it currently stands before this version. Just because Calvary had such a strong advantage, but now I think. Uh, with only the commander's unit redeploying, I think that really kind of fixes it. Unless you know you have a commander in uh, a cavalry unit, which I think the only person that can do it—not even technically all the time—is uh, Brendan uh, Tully on uh, on mount, and he still
1: isn't technically uh, released. Our so, Cargarians.
0: Oh, yeah, you're right. I don't know where my brain is at. But even uh, so, it's so I just guess
1: commanders, the, so it's not like it's it's three Lannister knights just stomping you all the time, you know?
0: I think it, what it before? was, though,
1: is... Yeah. <laughs> so, what, uh, what do you think about it, Justin,
0: this mission? Uh, the way it's changed. I like,
1: it. I like it a lot. I think it's really interesting how, like, commander-oriented it is. Um, so that's, like, a mission that you're going to build a list where not often, or even most of the time or whatever, but you see commanders get stuck in, like, you know, cheapo units or whatever, because that's where they're being really efficient like in Lannisters, you see them in Guardsmen, like a Tyrian thing, but this mission is going to be really poor for them, because there's a lot of well, not even necessarily, but there's a lot of things like, obviously, you kind of want your your commander in the middle of that fight, you know Uh, just hitting hard trying to kill units for those extra points or whatever Uh, and you're really going to be at a negative if you're you're someone who's hanging back with your commander, but it also may benefit specific commanders over others. We'll see. I think hit and run
0: commanders will benefit the most from this mission. Being able to get in there, get a, an objective, hit something, maybe kill it, give you some points and maybe never dying. Cause the first time you die, you'll give up two VPs. If you can, you know, get in there and hit hard and then retreat before dying and heal him up somehow or something. I think that might be the most effective way to use your commander in this one. Um, What about you, Craig?
3: A couple thoughts on it. Um, To go back to what you were talking about, the commanders, Edder Edder definitely comes to mind because you don't lose the effect of his cards if his cards are staying the same. Um, He would be amazing in this scenario. But uh, it it is well put together. I like how they stick with the theme, you know, Clash of Kings, Commanders. But it does break my heart a little bit because the current version of Clash of Kings is one of my favorites. Just because it's so bloody. Just constant fighting. (laughs) And, you know, you don't have to be cautious. Just yellow charge all day. But uh, I'm going to (laughs) miss that.
0: Yeah.
3: I I mean... this scenario is really well put together and I do like it. I'm just going to miss
0: the way it was. Yeah. I think maybe like maybe in the future, if we get another mission, it'd be nice to see like a, a mission that has no uh, more like a fire and blood, but uh, where things just keep coming back. So you don't have to worry about sitting on an objective. You literally just keep clashing into each other all game. And, you know, not having to work... Because the problem with the current Clash of Kings is the cavalry, Being able to just keep auto-charging the turn they come in. Uh, but that only is a big problem because you have to sit on these objectives that are within auto-charge range. If you can um, not have to worry about sitting on one, like, because there are no objectives, I think that would... You know, make for a really cool mission. You know, something that's just kill point oriented, and just everything keeps coming back. And it doesn't even have to be a tournament uh, mission. But I think just for casual play, it'd be a really cool thing to add
2: to kind of that's bring back the best that... mission I've ever heard of. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, yeah, I think I know. It should be a I was thinking tournament. of you, and I <laughs> <laughs> should just be that mission every single round, right?
2: That would be a tournament I would. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Three (laughs) rounds or five rounds of that, yes. Thank you. (laughs) So, with that said, what do you think, Chris,
0: about this one? I know it's scouting objectives in it, but I think uh, I'm going to take a guess that you really like the other aspects.
2: Yeah, I'm going to miss the, you know, when I have my free folk and there's throwing them to the slaughter and they just keep coming back even without the cards of the endless horde they just keep coming back <laughs> and giving no points anyway, and they just keep piling in there. I'm gonna miss that, but I think you know with who is it Mother of dragons you know Parker and uh, you know and selllied or something they just you know put them in the middle and just let them keep coming back all day. I'll do that too,
0: yeah, um. It's a, a point about the free folk and the endless horde. I've only done it once, but it is funny when uh, when you have them die right away. Like let's say round three, you have a unit that dies like with the first action. Then you bring them back on. You go into the fray and you attack, and then they die again. And then you just endless horde them back on for a third time. You know that's that's always fun.
2: <laughs> I've done that, but with the bone boys. That's fine.
0: Oh, the Bone Lords Chosen or the Followers?
2: No, just the Followers. I wish I could do it with the other ones. That'd be dope. But you could do that now with this one if you have your guy in there.
0: Yeah, rattle shirt and some Bone Lords Chosen.
2: See? Oh, that's man. That's a move right there. I like that. I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> uh,
0: moving on, we can go to Winds of Winter again. Uh, it's the same exact deployment and Objective placements as uh, as Game of Thrones. Um, special rules: use the mission deck. This game mode utilizes a mission deck. Each player takes one mission deck, then takes one copy of mission cards eleven and twelve, and selects four additional mission cards, creating a hand of six. So it looks like each player will use their own deck, uh, whereas every time before, it's always you use from the same deck. You'll have mission card eleven and twelve. So to quickly go over these uh, for context. Mission card one is at the end of the round, if you control the center objective, score two victory points. Mission card two, when you control or when an enemy NCU claims the attack or maneuver zone, score one uh, victory point. So that's interesting. So this is a reverse. Uh, it's if the enemy takes it, you're gonna get a point. So no longer do you have to take it. The next one is the same exact thing, but it's combat and uh, letter instead of combat and maneuver. Next one, mission four, is if your opponent claims a zone on the tactics board before you do. If your opponent claims a zone on the tactics board before you do. Oh, okay, I see what it's saying. So if your opponent takes a spot on the board, before you're able to take a spot on the board, you'll get a, a victory point five you destroy the enemy commander score two victory points if your commander has been destroyed score one victory point if you destroy the enemy commander so if yours is killed and you kill theirs you'll get three points if you have if yours hasn't died and you kill theirs you only get two at the end of the round if you have at least one unengaged friendly unit in an enemy deployment zone score two victory points I like uh, the theme of all this is the most you can get is two with the exception, I think, of uh, a couple where if you meet all the criteria, you can get three at max. I didn't like before how you could get like four points for doing something, uh, especially the before you could get four victory points just being in your opponent's deployment zone that has you know messed me over multiple times. And in a lot of cases, it's something you can't uh, stop, because by that point, if they're in your deployment, it's because they killed something and moved on, and they're just out in the middle of nowhere, and you can't really do anything about it. Um, mission 7, at the end of each round, uh, for each enemy your units are engaged with that has fewer remaining ranks, score one victory point up to two uh, total victory points. Solo units count their remaining wounds as ranks for this mission. Uh, Mission eight, at the end of the round, you may expend two condition tokens for each enemy combat unit. Score one victory point for each unit you expend two tokens from, up to two victory points. Uh, Again, it's really nice that they're making a a cap on these. Um, You know, it makes it a lot less, uh, you know, swingy. You know, you really have to work for your points. Uh, Mission nine, once this round, when an enemy unit... uh, Sorry, once this round, when an enemy destroys a friendly combat unit, place two victory points on that enemy. Remove and score these victory points when that enemy is destroyed, even if this mission is discarded. The end of the round, for each objective you control on your opponent's side of the battlefield, score one victory point. Mission 11 and 12, which I believe is what we're uh, currently going to be talking about for Winds of Winter, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, 11 and 12. Um, 11 is when you reveal this mission, if you have less victory points than your opponent, score one victory point and become the first player. Wow. That's really good. Um, and the fact that both players have it means that it's, uh, not like super unfair or anything. Um, it's, yeah, that's definitely a really good, uh, mission. Mission 12 at the end of the round for each objective you control, score one victory point. So yeah, Also a really good one because technically you could score five victory points with this one if you control all five. But chances of you controlling more than three is really rare. And then if things are really, you know, you'd have to wait to use this like at the end of the game if you wanted even that much in a lot of cases. Um, I think average you're going to get two between, you know, contesting and all that stuff. So yeah, I I like uh, the changes for these as well. I think they're definitely very well thought through. Um, Anyway, so back to Winds of Winter. Uh, So you're going to take 11 and 12 and then select four additional mission cards, creating a hand of six. So basically you can go through and pick the uh, outside of 11 and 12. So one through 10, you can pick the four that really suits your army best, which is nice. it definitely takes away all the randomness, which I love. Uh, beginning round two at the start of each round and beginning with the first player, each player selects and reveals one mission card from their hand. Um, revealed mission cards are discarded at the end of the round. So this is also important. This means that it's not going to be a secret. Your first player is going to have to select one and reveal it to their opponent. And then their re- opponent can see what it is and then be like, pick a, a mission and reveal it in response to whatever their mission is going to be uh, special rules objectives a unit ending a move with this uh so it's same as usual the claiming an objective by completely on top of it and based on your ranks uh, solos count ranks um, based on wounds controlling and contesting special scoring mission cards uh, mission card List various ways players can score additional victory points each revealed mission may be scored by each player if the requirements are met. Oh, that's interesting so um, so if I reveal a card that can be scored, my opponent can also score that card and vice versa so that's that's definitely throws a you know a wrench in some plans you know that you really have to be careful what you reveal because you're gonna potentially. You know, in a lot of cases, there could be times where whatever you reveal, your opponent's going to get more than you if things don't go your way. Uh, And then lastly, objectives do not grant victory points unless specifically stated by a mission card. And one thing I'd like to note, not in the special scoring, victory through combat is active, and it does not increase scoring cap. So at 40 points, you only need 10 points. So that, I think, is a huge change to this mission. And I wonder if it's going to be the same with Dark Wings, Dark Words, which will be next. But with that said, uh, Justin, what do you kind of think of this mission?
1: I think the coolest thing I heard right there, I mean, it's all really cool, but I love the NCU thing that was at the beginning. Your opponent gets a victory, or whoever doesn't, whoever places their NCU first, the other p- person gets a victory point, right? You said that? Um, so, I think that's one of the missions,
0: number, oh, yeah.
1: no, let's see.
0: You're talking about the mission in particular? Let's see. I think it was Uh, the mission.
1: Mission four. Yeah, mission
0: four. If your opponent claims a zone
1: on the tactics board before you do, score a victory point. I really like that one because we often see, especially like round two, round one and two, you. Almost always see someone shooting for the letter, and then from then on, they generally have engagement. So you see people shooting for the swords. So now we're not going to see four NCU activations in the beginning unless there's like a very important thing that has to happen. So it's definitely it's not driving away like that type of play, but instead it's making that not a auto choose right. You're not just auto gonna and activate NCU an on the board. I like and that. The nice thing is that
0: it's revealed. So if I, let's say it's me and you, and you pick whatever card because you're going first to show, like, oh, I get this for every objective I'm controlling. And then I go, okay, I'm revealing this one. First person to take a spot gives the other person a victory point. And you go, crap, I'm going first this turn. I needed that attack. And you go, I, well, I know, that's why I played it. <laughs> and you go, all right, well, is it worth it? Like you're saying, you've got a way, is it worth it to take that spot anyways, knowing you're going to give me a victory point? It could then also end up being a waiting game. You know, you could go, oh, okay, I'm not going to take that attack. I don't want you to have a victory point because you're close to winning. And I could go, okay, well, I'm not going to take the spot because I don't want you to get a victory point. We could literally have to force the other person to take it first, depending on what the activation count looks like.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it's a really cool dynamic, along with, as you were saying, the, the both players able to score from either card. I think that's super cool. A lot of these cards definitely sound a lot more unique than control the horse and control the mail or control the money and control the crown or whatever they were. Uh, these definitely seem like they have a lot more thought put into it and uh, adds to like a significantly more dynamic gameplay.
0: Yep, and could you imagine, like, let's, you get to pick four besides 11 and 12 because you get those automatically. I could be like, all right, I'm going to pick mission two. So for uh, when someone claims the combat or the horse, the other person gets a point. I'm going to also then take mission three, that when someone takes the combat and the, or the letter, the other person gets the point. And I'm going to take mission four, if you activate an NCU before me, Uh, Or whoever activates an NCU first, the other person gets a point. That could be three of my four chosen cards. So for three rounds in a row, I could say, oh, you want to take that combat zone? Give me a point. You know, I could, like, force my opponent to not take the combat zone. Or I guess not necessarily combat for Mission 4. It could be any zone. But, you know, that could... That in itself A lot, definitely so much board control. Yeah, you could be like, I, you know, my list, I have, you know, two list format. So I, I have this list that really doesn't focus on the tactics board. So I'm going to really deter you from using your tactics board effects by taking three of these as my four cards and just be like, you know, this round, this round, this round, because it's starting round two. So I could go round two, round three, round four, and for you know, arguably more than half the game, even though that's three of the six rounds, but arguably more than half the game, um, you know, you're neutering your opponent's effectiveness on the board, so...
1: Especially if they have, like, a PNC like list? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, but question about that, I wonder if, like, in a tournament, when are you choosing the cards after you find out, like, the army you're playing?
0: Um, I would say, well, you... Yeah, you would have to choose your list first.
1: Um, but you know the faction they're playing and a general idea of what their lists look like.
0: Yeah, Well, and you, you'll know what list they picked before you even start setting up the thing if it's still if they haven't changed that order because the, the when you choose because uh, it'll it's special rules or after setup. Setup is when it tells you all the stuff. That, and that then could end up player. Being,
1: that could end up being. Strange and very neutering to certain armies, which could be a good thing, <laughs> not necessarily a bad thing, yep. but we'll we'll have to wait to see how that plays out. yeah, I like that um the mission deck is almost
0: like uh like the objective deck in the sense that it's not necessarily buffs but it's you know it's just another way to kind of add to the game without making it um excuse me uh not adding like so much cuz now wins of winter besides the fact that you have these mission cards as ways to get points is not so different from the other missions that it's like oh man you know got to like rethink what i'm doing entirely you know no longer is it no victory through combat no longer is it extra victory points like it's very similar enough to the other missions that uh, it it's a nice change i think
1: yeah what i definitely think, uh,
0: think this is going to be a good one what do you think, Craig?
3: Yeah, I think this is the best version of this scenario, and I think it would be a really, really good tournament uh, scenario. I agree. Uh, it, it's different, but it's not random. There's nothing random about it, and the fact that both players see how to score, you know, that's that's perfect. Exactly. So I don't, I don't agree.
0: Really yeah. Without knowing, uh, exactly, or I, I did read through it, but, um, like without having actually played some of the missions, I would have to say right off the bat, um, Winds of Winter is probably my new favorite between all renditions past and, uh, current renditions of the secret mission decks. Um, uh, just the fact that you can pick any ones you want, but both people are scoring. I just, I definitely like that. What about you, Chris?
2: I think that it's cool how each person gets their own deck because it makes it a little bit more fair and balanced that, you know, you each have the same options to go off. It's not like the other one where it's like, you know, flip the cards and your opponent might you know that's a really good one but in this one you both have the same opportunity to pick the same cards if you really wanted to on top of the two that you're already getting that are the same so I think that is good for balance so this one looks fun
0: yeah I agree I can't wait to definitely definitely can't wait to try like all these missions out but uh, so moving on, dark wings, dark words, um, deployment ten inches. Uh, the objective placements is the same as uh, um, what's that one called? Clash of Kings. So center, and then each uh, the other two is three objectives. One, in the center, two are on the left and right in the center, but six inches away from each flank edge. Uh, they are labeled here as A, B, and C, starting from left to right. Uh, don't know if that necessarily matters um, from left to right part, but. Uh, special rules are the game mode utilizes the mission cards, take mission, the mission deck, remove 10 and 12 and shuffle the remaining cards face down before deployment draw and reveal two mission cards these are the active missions then draw and reveal two additional mission cards and place them uh, neat, I think that should say near uh, near the active missions, these are the reserve missions beginning on round 3 at the start of each round, discard the two active missions and replace them with the two reserve missions. Draw two missions from the mission deck to replace the reserve missions. If the mission deck runs out of cards, shuffle all discarded missions to form a new deck. Special rules, um, uh, in uh, parentheses, replacing missions. When a friendly NCU claims a zone, you may replace that zone's effect with discard one active mission and replace it with a reserve mission, or discard one reserve mission, drawing a new reserve mission from the deck. During their activation, your commander may forfeit their action. If they do, you may discard one active mission and replace it with a reserve mission, or discard one reserve mission, drawing a new reserve mission from the deck. Uh, I, I like that a lot. It definitely will help cycle through the bad things while forcing you to sacrifice something uh whether it be your commander who might be just be a support commander or it might be uh um, replacing the spot uh on the tactics board for it um if you're more of a field field commander or just field army um or maybe you have three n c u s and you just you have a spot where you just don't need it because if I'm not mistaken, a lot of this will be scored at the end. So if you have the last spot open, let's say the maneuver and you just don't need it, you can last second, get rid of a mission that you, you don't like if I'm correct. Let's see. I think a lot of these end of the round when you claim at the end of the round. So not necessarily all of them. Some of them sound like they're going to trigger right away, but, uh, you never know. It's, it's one of those, uh, by the situation. So, uh, then special rules for the objectives. Um, same as before, uh, have to be completely on it. If you're not, you don't control it. You control it based on uh, ranks. Solos having equal to their remaining ranks for contesting and controlling special scoring. Mission cards list very various ways uh, you can score the victory points. Each revealed active mission may be scored by each player if the requir- requirements are met. Beginning on round two, players will score one victory point for each objective token they control at the end of the round. Objective tokens controlled by your uh, commander grant one additional victory point. So, unlike um, what we've seen before with uh, mission deck uh, missions, is that uh, they the objectives will actually give victory points in addition to the missions themselves. But, important to note, this one only has three, where all of the mission deck missions prior um could have had five so you would obviously be gaining a lot more victory points across both players but now that there's only three let's say one's contested and each player has one of the others that means it's really only adding one maybe two victory points around usually uh so also important to note um victory through combat does work and uh and uh, no increased victory point count on this one either. So still 10 victory points if you're playing the standard 40-point uh, games. So with that mouthful said, uh, let's start with you, Craig. What do you kind of think about this mission?
3: Uh, I like that um, the next set of mission cards are already out. So, I mean, everything's going good before. Everything will be going good one round, and then you draw the next card, and you'd be fubard. Um, So I like now that you can plan more or less around ahead to prevent yourself, to to set yourself up to be in a better position later in the game. I think that's a big plus. I also uh, like that since... I like that the cards don't give as many VPs as they used to and that there are objectives to kind of make up for that. So there's more ways to score. For example, if you are in a bad situation, you aren't totally screwed, you can still score off of the objectives if the cards aren't going your way. So I I really like that they put um, different ways to um, plan ahead into this one that that wasn't there in the previous version of it, if that makes sense.
0: I agree. Uh, I am a little worried, though, that you might score too fast. Let's say, um, for example, uh, you get the beat on someone, and let's say – one of the flank objectives you get with your commander and they can't really take you off of it. And let's say you just get the B objective and they have a objective. Now you're getting three points just every round for having those two. Also a point for every time you kill something also points from all the mission deck stuff. I'm just worried that, uh, with combination of the objectives, the killing stuff, the mission objective and the commander, all of those things combined that you're going to zip through, uh, too fast in this mission. I think that's really my only concern. Um, I would hate to see, like, games end by, like, turn three because, you know, you have three points to round two, three points round three, and then now you're at six points and you only needed four uh, object or mission points to reach your 10 uh, VP threshold.
3: That's a good point. And with that in mind, I think Winds of Winter... Is a better scenario, especially for competitive play.
0: Yeah, I think uh there's nothing necessarily wrong with this mission. It's not like that in itself is makes it a bad mission. I just think for what you pointed out, competitively, I think so far from what we've read, this would probably be the bottom of the list for competitive missions because of the potential that you could just shoot through your victory point threshold uh, too quickly. Um, and so, yeah, I think with there being, you know, there's 10 revealed, but only nine are, uh, uh, tournament missions. I think even removing Dark Wings, Dark Words from there still leaves you with eight missions. Most tournaments, about four rounds. So you still have double the amount of missions you need compared to rounds to play. So, excuse me, I don't think, um... I don't think that's like necessarily a horrible thing. So I don't think it's going to like ruin or limit the options for a tournament. What do you think, Justin?
1: Uh, I wasn't even, uh, it's good that you and Craig or you pointed out the, uh, how fast it could go. I wasn't really thinking about that. I was more focusing on uh, the reserve things as Craig pointed out, being able to set yourself up is super big and, the limiting of the points is huge. I mean, you know, I had a game, I think I mentioned it on here once, where uh, the round before, uh, Moki, uh, Craig's friend, got a good charge off on me with his commander and did like some pretty heavy damage. And then we drew, but he was like next to one of my units that I was probably going to ignore him before because I had other things. And then we drew the card kill enemy's commander for four points, and I'm just like two and a half inches away with Ramsey and Cutthroats in his flank, and he's playing playing free folk. And I was like, "Well, sorry, Moki. I'm gonna get four points." <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> so that that really sucked getting so many points at once. I mean, I mean, I guess it helped me, right? But it's a significant point increase. Um, but definitely, if they maybe for this one, if they raised a point cap to where you need more points to. Maybe slow down the victory condition. That might help. I think
0: maybe just removing a uh, victory through combat on this one
1: um, might yeah, also do
0: it. But then again, I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, make all three objectives not worth any points, but the commander still gives plus one victory point. Um, that way, if he's on one, you're still you're going to get one there, and killing things get one there, and then the mission deck. I think that that'd be. I think almost removing... Obviously, you wouldn't remove the mission deck, but I think removing almost, like, either-or, the objectives or the victory through combat might uh, do it.
1: Yeah, I think there's... But, there's uh, the point is, there's probably easy ways to, to make this competitive if they wanted to. Even not, though, having eight to the four, potential four rounds should be more than fine. Yeah,
0: and who knows? Maybe Maybe the fact that there's so many ways to cycle the deck is on per maybe the ability to get so many points is on purpose because it,
1: stop your it makes you cool.
0: have. Yeah. It makes you have to really focus on the mission deck because you, you're like, Oh, well, you know, I don't necessarily care too much about replacing his zone to change out some cards or not activating with my commander to replace some cards. But if your opponent is, you know, um, it really makes a struggle between you're already struggling on the battlefield between racking up all these victory points. You're like, oh man, he's already ahead by two victory points and this card right here is really going to you know, shoot him over the top. Now I, it forces you to have to do something. So maybe that's, that's the thought process. Um, but then again, that could go the other way too. You could be like, man... I'm I'm in such a good lead right now, I could just focus my attention on cycling through the cards to put useless ones, not necessarily useless, I shouldn't say that because they're all really good mission cards, but less beneficial uh, cards from my opponent. That way their ability to come back is so hard that you know it almost ensures the game for me.
1: That's true. I guess we'll have to wait and see how it actually plays out.
0: Exactly. So yeah, with that said, I definitely love the the reserve mission aspect. I like being able to see your two actives that either player can score, the two reserve that either player can score once they become the active, and that you're never surprised uh, by something. Um, Because even when you replace the effects to move some cards around, you can't just move from unrevealed straight to active. They have to slow down the between unrevealed to uh, reserved to active. So I definitely like that. It gives uh, gives you kind of a foresight while not like completely surprising you and giving you at least an action to respond. Let's say they were to uh, move a reserve to the active. It now gives you the ability to remove that as the very next action potentially. So what about you, Chris? How you How do you feel about the change to this mission?
2: Uh, I think it's fine. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I focus more on the Victory Through Combat thing, so I hope they don't get rid of that part. Uh, I do like, like, like you said, there's the actives and then the, the backup mission, so you always know kind of like what you're working towards. It's not like, oh, hey, this thing just showed up. Hmm, how am I going <laughs> to get this thing done? So, at least you're it's more strategic for you. It's like, okay, this thing's coming. How can I do what's out here now? And then kind of preparing for what's coming next too. So I think that's cool. Yep. Uh,
0: Moving on, we got honed and ready. Uh, Let's see. So for this one, 10 inch deployment as usual, the, let's see, it doesn't say how far away from the, let's see if it says it in the setup. Um, so it says place the objective to- tokens as shown above. I'm willing to bet they're 18 inches away from the table edge, uh, from the player's table edges, uh, because they look very similar to the other missions placement. But the other missions actually show eight, like an 18-inch um, arrow. So maybe that's something that they can add, uh, you know, like a, you know, when they release everything. But just for clarification, because I know, you like I just did, you can reference it. Um, then again, um, I suppose the, they're aligned with the, they might actually, they're aligned with the, the wall. So that might be eight conveniently 18 as well as, um, cause I think the walls are 11 inches in length. So, yeah. I don't know, they might be slightly different. Um, but it doesn't say exactly where the walls go. I, I'm nitpicking. Uh, I'm sure you everyone can, uh, deduce, uh, where they would go but so you'll have uh two of the walls that are provided with the starters on either side uh, on each flank uh one objective in the center and the four objectives are uh six inches away from the flank edges um so not six inches from the walls but six inches from the flank edges and i believe that ends up being and they're like in line with the edges of the the wall um pieces um the castle walls to be more precise Anyways, um, so that's kind of set up for this mission. Uh, special rules: terrain with the impassable keyword may not be placed. When placing terrain pieces, castle walls may be ignored, so so long as no other terrain pieces within one inch of them. Uh, special rules for the objectives: a unit, uh, so same as before, uh, have to be entirely on it, or you don't control it. If you only control it if you have equal or more ranks than your. Uh, than the enemy and solos count as the wounds uh, equal to ranks uh, and for controlling and contesting special rules for the castle walls Castle walls are terrain pieces with the impassable keyword each time victory points are scored from the from the objectives closest to the castle walls the walls rain down arrows upon the unit controlling the objectives those units each suffer d3 plus two hits these are not attacks special rules for NCUs in the tactics board when a friendly NCU claims any zone you may replace that zone effect with one you controlling an objective other than the center objective unit suffers d3 plus two hits so um, and then special scoring beginning around two players to score one victory point for each objective token they control at the end of the round objectives controlled by your army's commander grant one plus one victory point let's see So they will only, the castle walls will only shoot at your unit if you control it, and you can't, um, uh, let's see, beginning round two, players will score one. So technically, if you're on top of these round one, you won't score for it, and you will be shot, I believe. So I wonder if that was intended. Um, It'd be kind of funny, because then that means that you would have to use your action if you don't have a free one to move on to it round two, um, meaning, uh, meaning round one, you can't set yourself up to have it round two, um, without taking some damage. So I wonder if that's intentional. If not, um, you know, we'll see if they change it. I don't see it as a bad thing either way. Uh, I think in a way it might even be better if it is this way. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, I believe every single mission so far has a benefit for a commander, like either it being amazing benefit like Clash of Kings or a simple benefit as in plus one victory point for an objective. And I think they're really trying to hurt NCU commanders. I think think that'll be... Uh, I think that'll be a good thing. NCU uh, commanders, even with some of the changes they made before, definitely have a very strong um, benefit for being an activation. So... Uh, Chris, I'll start with you, what do you kind of think of this, uh, objective frenzy, uh, die if you control them, uh, mission?
2: I mean, I love getting people killed if they're on objectives. Kind of gives you less incentive to be on them and more duking it out of the field. But if you have to be on them, I think it's cool that, you know, you got to pay a price for it too and just getting hosed from the walls. So, I think that's nifty. What about you,
1: Justin? Uh, I like that there's, like, a theme to... Not a theme to, like, how you play, I guess, but uh, that it's you've got castles and all that stuff, like, kind of raining down. It actually blends itself more to a fantasy theme, which I think is cool. Um, the commander thing I like a lot, obviously, uh, for all the missions... Being getting some kind of commander benefit that's re- really great uh, especially trying to get away from the 3NCU meta I think uh, it, that really helps that obviously it's one of the like many things I think we've seen with these updates that is trying to push away from that which hopefully in the end will also uh, give a benefit to lower activation armies as well but we'll have to wait and see um, yep other than that uh, I don't know I don't. This mission, I guess, isn't sticking out to me a ton. I don't obviously think it's bad by any means. I'll have to play it. I don't think I played the uh, the equivalent cool to it before at all, um, or at least like a what, Storm of Swords or whatever. I never got to play that for some reason. So I've never dealt with castle <laughs> walls or anything like that. So I think it'll be fun to play.
0: Yeah, I'd like to add in there uh, before we get to you, Craig. Is I like that it helps. Um... There's benefits to both Horde and Elite. Will benefit because usually they'll be able to uh, withstand those uh, those uh hits from the walls. But then again, Horde will benefit because they'll be able to throw all their units at your units while you're controlling objectives, really fight the middle and put some like chaff units on their uh objectives and just kind of, you know, take the brunt of the hits. And really force your opponent to have to maybe replace those spots uh, to throw more hits at them to potentially even kill them so and I definitely like the fact that they're using castle walls in competitive uh games to kind of just make use of them uh, I actually the place that makes the two d terrain I'm having them uh, currently make me uh two d versions of these uh, which will be really nice when those come in uh so what do you think, Craig? You still there, Craig?
3: Yeah, I guess I was talking to myself. <laughs> when I was muted. I get I like all of them so far though, so I'm kind of a broken record. But it's really unique with the castle walls and something that stands out to me with it is if it um becomes a tournament scenario, it's similar to Clash the old Clash of Kings in that it may um completely change your um your your list building just for this one scenario, the same way Clash Kings did before with needing to take Calvary and this, you might need to take the heavy armor, um, whether yep. it's sworn shields or is, but that that's what stands yeah. out to me
0: about it. The downside being that like elite factions, you know, they'll have to really just, they won't be able to go on the offense too much because, you know, there's five objectives here and, you know, you could go on the offense, but then you're sacrificing controlling the objectives uh, on your side. You have to kind of make that choice: do I sit and play safe, sit on my objectives and fight, you know, in the middle, or do I, you know, rush across the board? Hopefully, my elite units are going to crash through their softer units, you know, if they're a more, you know, non-elite army. So it's definitely uh, I like that it brings something different.
3: Usually means less. And in this scenario, if you have an elite army and you're trying to hold objectives, you're going to be really spread out, and they're going to be able to target one of your units at a time, which could be an issue.
0: Uh, And it will give some benefit to running three NCUs. Uh, Granted, I think the best situation if you're going to run three is still run a field commander. I know that's going to be a lot of points, uh, at least ten. Free folk could go nine, but... um, be at least 10 maybe 11 or 12 or more who knows but you know rank three NCUs especially if your opponent only has two could really come in handy granted I wouldn't sacrifice that field commander Uh, moving on we got dance of dragons um, 10-inch deployment Uh, objectives are placed uh, just like clash of kings one in the center the other two are in the center but six inches away from either flank edge let's see anything else for that uh, draw one random objective card for each objective token um, so now it's not preset and they're random which is nice uh, special rules for the objectives um, if you so just like before or like it, the current version is that if you touch it uh, you pick it up when you pick it up the unit controlling it uh, can never March and its speed is reduced to two Uh, This cannot be increased by any means. They have bolded uh, march and speed uh, reduced to this cannot be increased by means. It's all bolded to kind of emphasize that, uh, you know, before people were forgetting uh, that not only that, people were thinking that, you know, the speed uh, being like inches or something, but it's actually your move stat, like your foot. So if you had something that uh, uh, increased your – total speed or reduced it, it could still increase, like, the inches. So, like, um, if it was, like, I don't know, I don't, can't remember if there's anything particular in the game, but if it was, like, just plus one inch, then you could move your two with your uh, foot stat, your, your speed stat, and plus one essentially giving you three. Um, but anything that increased your speed, uh, like the actual stat on your card, uh, could not increase it. Um, and then a unit can only control one objective at any time. If a unit controlling objective token ends a move over another token, that opponent, the, their opponent places the objective token anywhere within two inches of the unit tray, so long as the token is not over impassable terrain or another unit's tray. Special rules for the objectives: if a unit holding the objective fails a panic test or is destroyed, one enemy unit chosen by the opponent that is engaged with uh, that claimed token. Um, sorry I read that wrong so or is destroyed one enemy unit chosen by the opponent that is engaged with claims token so I think that could be probably worded a little better so basically it's saying that uh, you'll pass the token on to a unit an opponent's unit chosen by the opponent uh, if there was no enemy engaged with the unit your opponent places the token anywhere within two so long as it's not over impassable terrain or another unit's tray After completing a melee attack on a unit controlling an objective, if the attacker has more remaining ranks than the defender, they claim the objective token from them. Special scoring. Beginning of round two, players score one victory point for each objective token they control at the end of the round. Uh, objective tokens controlled by your commander give plus one victory point. So another bon- benefit for your commander, which was that was already there, but it's still nice to see that it remained. Uh, but I love that they added the, after completing a melee, if you have more ranks, you take it from your opponent. It, it gives you a benefit for having that high panic, but it's not like, oh, it's all poor fellows and they're never going to fail a panic. And if I can't stop them from healing and kill them, they're just going to hold these objectives the whole game, and I can't do anything about taking it away. I think this gives a nice, you know, ability to you know uh, high morale. Army is still good in this mission while not making them like imperviable to giving up those tokens. What do you think, Craig?
3: I uh, it's it's the same as before with some slight tweaks. I think for the better, but um, other than that, it's still. Still what it was, still a very solid, well-rounded scenario.
0: Yep, just a little less deployment, no set objectives, um, and, uh, yeah, and then the, I mean, it only got better. It changed just barely, but all all better changes, in my opinion.
1: What do you think, Justin? Uh, I really have nothing else to say. Better changes, nice smoothing out of stuff. Um, Yeah, that's it.
2: And
0: Chris, did you have anything to add before we move on to the next one?
2: No, you guys covered it pretty well.
0: All right. Yeah, I mean, that one's pretty straightforward. There's not a lot to kind of talk about that one, just overall better changes and a better mission to a mission that, in my opinion, was already one of the best. Uh, Here we stand. Uh, This one is 18-inch deployment on both sides. Uh, this is the quadrant, so you're going to uh, divide the field into four quadrants, so essentially two by two. If you're playing on a four by four, it's a two by two uh, quadrants. Um, there are no objectives. Uh, terrain can be placed anywhere uh, outside from six from each other and six from any table edge. Um, divide into quadrants. U- units are considered to be in the quadrant. They are majority – They're. Trains majority in if they're uh, split the opponent so if they're split 50 50 between quadrants the owners opponent will choose what quadrant they're in so if in doubt make sure it's clear and express the your intention to your opponent and make sure they agree because you don't want them to be choosing it for you um, a player controls a quadrant if they have at least five army points in the quadrant in total between all attachment combat units and NCUs and more total army points than your opponent in that quadrant special rules for the NCUs as their action instead of claiming a zone NCU may be placed in a quadrant that NC, the NCU's army points will be added to the sector for determining control of that quadrant each player may only have one NCU in each quadrant special rules commanders commanders add 3 army points for determining control of a quadrant special rules for redeploy at the start of each round before the first, uh, uh, beginning with the first player, each player may redeploy one of their previously destroyed combat units, including attachments in short range of their deployment edge or any flank table edge units redeployed uh, units, redeploy active activated for the round and uh, special scoring beginning of round two. At the end of each round, players will score one victory point for each quadrant they control. So again, uh, benefit for your commander. Cause he's adding three points total. So he could be in as low as a two point, you know, not that there are any, but like to hit that five point threshold, you could be in, you know, almost any unit, uh, to, in the game that allows a commander and you're automatically hitting at least five point threshold. And, uh, you know, you can put them in a beefy unit. Let's say, um, what's the most like uh, Dithraki, uh for not Dithraki, sorry, unsullied at nine points. You put your commander in there. You're now a 12 point unit. They themselves can control a quadrant over your opponent with two, six point units with, a, you know, let's say they're five pointers with attachments, just two, six pointers. You know, you throw like your NCU in there and you, you can almost guarantee between an NCU and that unit that you don't even have to worry about your opponent. Um, they changed it I don't I don't know if uh, they changed it prior but it was like three points for each quadrant if it was your opponent's uh, quadrant and one point for yours now it's just one point for all of them which I like um, see uh, redeploying is really nice the fact that it is anywhere any uh, table uh, any flank table edge or your deployment within short and they become they come on activated which is nice because even though they've come come on activated um you only get one unit to deploy that was destroyed previously and they'll be in that quadrant to count for the points uh for the end of the round. Um what else do I want to touch on? Um and then the facts of the NCUs, uh it'll really I think we mentioned this in the for the beta show is that five point NCUs is really powerful especially because i think they added that only one of each ncu can be in each quadrant um that means you can't have uh two three-pointers go in the same quadrant and control it themselves the only thing that's gonna only ncu that can do that is five-point ncus so that's really nice so what do you think uh justin and dropped uh what do you think craig i think uh oh yeah, uh, here, uh, Justin had something he had to go do, so he, uh, he said, uh, he said his goodbyes. Um, but yeah, Craig, what do you think? I think
3: this one is, uh, I- interesting, um, to sum it up, uh, there will be blood. Um, a lot of YOLO charges, I think, especially when it's one of those redeployment ones. And I think it'll be a lot of fun, but, uh, don't bring, uh, don't bring a lot of uh, cheap units because they could get just ran right off the board, and you'll be in trouble fast.
0: Yep, yeah. and the fact that you only get one redeployed every round and activated means that you you definitely don't want to be careless with your units. It's not like the the current Clash of Kings where they're just all gonna keep coming back unactivated and keep doing stuff. They're really the turn they come back is really just to kind of add their points a little bit to a, to a quadrant. And the fact that each deployment is 18, that uh, that only leaves six inches before you start hitting enemy quadrant territory. So marching, simply marching, puts you in their contesting, uh, potentially ca- contesting their quadrant. So something to keep in mind. But then again, you do that, and then they're almost guaranteed to charge you it
3: really feels like a Tully scenario.
0: High defense, oh, high yeah. cost units. You know, shield or something or even could you imagine like an all Halberdier uh Lannister with the um with the revealed uh flank and uh front charge uh for their set for charge. So you could, you know, march all of your Halberdiers into their territory and just you know, see if they charge you. I would
3: rather not imagine it being a start,
0: <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> what about you, Chris? What do you think of this objectiveless uh
2: mission? This is awesome, because <laughs> again, like the old fire and blood eighteen inch thing, so you're ready to get into combat right away, like Craig mentioned. I love the YOLO charge, and I do it all the time, so that's even perfect for yep. me. And again, the fact that you can bring back something that was killed, that's pretty cool too. So it's just the endless cycle of death, which I support yep. that. And then, you know, I always like that extra element that, you know, you can throw an NCU on there just to get that extra boon to, you know, your quadrants if you need to. That's pretty cool. If you don't really need something on the board, you can put it to more field practicality, which I don't like the board anyway, so throwing it on the field's perfect for me. Yep.
0: And uh, one thing to note for, like, free folk players, it almost is beneficial to, like, sacrifice, like, a cheap raider unit, just throw it at them and, you know, cause some trouble, die, and now come in on the flank, get those three points to really muck up, you know, you know, possibly even five points, you know, throwing them with like a walrus chieftain, you know, in there and, uh, or maybe like, uh, a chosen of styre and a, uh, um, skin changer for five points and trying to, trying to just muck up, uh, their quadrant could really be beneficial, you know, combined with some of your NCUs dropping down. So yeah, definitely, uh, lends a lot for a lot of different strategies, uh, in this mission. I mean, this is still one of my favorite missions and something to not take for granted because yeah, if you don't have uh, those quadrants clearly outlined, you'll con- you'll constantly forget where the, the line is drawn and think someone is in one quadrant where they're actually in another. Um, moving on before we run out of time here, uh, we have... Three more missions, so uh, I'm going to quickly go over Storm of Swords, which is the last one. not really going to read through it as it is a scenario mission that is uh, uh, not for tournament play. And and the other reason I'm not really going to read through it is I want to play through this one uh, because this is a mission, reading through it, it definitely looks fair and fun, Uh, so I'm going to give it that. But it also seems like it's, complex enough that i feel like to truly understand it you have to play it truly understand how fair it is and how fun it is you kind of really have to play it so uh we're gonna i'm gonna kind of reserve my overall judgment for this one for later but i want to say my first initial look is it looks really good um and i like you know that they saw you know the criticism from its original uh version and it looks like they've tuned uh you know whatchamacallit, you you know, just revamped it and made it look amazing. So, uh, but our last two missions, uh, Feast for Crows, 10-inch deployment, um, uh, corpse piles as before with the objectives on them. Uh, It says corpse piles may not be selected as terrain for pieces by players. If the terrain is being randomly selected, the corpse pile results should be re-rolled. Place one object token at short range from each flank table edge along the center of the battlefield, as shown above, and place one course pile under each token. These course piles are placed in addition to any of the terrain pieces. Terrain may be placed uh, with, um, may ignore these course piles, but have to be an inch out of them. Special rules for the objectives, assign one random objective card to each objective token at the start of the game and when it, or when it is placed. This is the effect linked to the objective. Each objective is linked to the course pile on it. And A uh, unit ending its move uh, with any part of it on the objective claims it and picks it up and is now controlling it. Unit may only control one. If uh, they're able to um, touch another one, they will. The opponent will place the second. Uh, Token anywhere linked to that corpse pile. Uh, special rules for the objectives: uh, If a unit controlling an objective ends an activation not touching its linked corpse pile, it drops the token. The token touching its linked corpse pile. If a unit holding an objective token fails a panic test or is destroyed, uh, an enemy chosen by the opponent that is engaged with claims token. If there are if there was no enemy engaged, the opponent places it anywhere within two of the tray, so long as it is not over and passable or another unit's tray. After completing a melee attack on a unit controlling an objective, the attacker has more remaining ranks than the defender. They claim the objective token. So all this, uh in that sense a lot of all the same uh triggers as uh, with the exception of the course pile part as the uh, Dance with Dragons. Special rules for the course files. If there are less than four already in play each time a infantry unit is destroyed before removing its tray, its owner places one course file anywhere completely within long range and at least one inch from any other terrain piece or other unit's trays. They play, then place one objective token in the center of that course pile. Special scoring. Beginning round two, players score one victory point for each uh, objective they control and plus one if it's a commander. So, With all that said, I believe it is just re, uh, um, cleared up a lot of the wording. And the only thing they changed uh, was the, after completing a melee attack, if, you have, uh, if the attacker has more uh, remaining ranks, they'll take the objective token away. Um, and I think that, like I said before, is a great change. Uh, Chris, uh, what do you think um, about that one change? Since it's one of the missions that really didn't change at all.
3: Yeah, I don't think there's really anything much to say about it. It's
0: the same as it was. It was already great, and it still is. Yeah, I agree. Um, So lastly, we have Fire and Blood before we close out here. Um, 18-inch deployment uh, on both sides, so the same as before. Um, You will take Objective Cards 6 through 10. Um, once units have been deployed, beginning with the first player, each player will alternate selecting one of their opponent's combat units and place one objection token on each of them until two units on each side have been selected. These tokens represent marked units. When a unit is marked, its owner selects one objective card and assigns it to that unit. It gains the effect listed on the card until the end of the game as if it was controlling an objective. Uh Special rules for the terrain, uh, they may be placed anywhere as long as they're six inches away from the table edges or, and each other. Commander's uh, special rules is um, they can place the victory point within long when they activate as it currently is for this mission. And then special scoring, each time a friendly marked unit destroys an enemy with an attack or an ability, gain one victory point. Gain two victory points when a marked enemy unit is destroyed, and each time any enemy unit within it with victory point tokens is destroyed, gain victory points equal to the victory point tokens on that unit. So um, the only real change to this mission was that it took away the plus two attack die from marked units and instead replaced it with giving them the objective uh, cards, which is six through ten, which I believe is the same as in Clash of Kings. So it's Sundering, Vicious, Precision uh weakened and uh um highest attack die value. Let me just double check that. Six through ten. So um there'll be one that is not used because you're gonna each place two on your opponent instead of choosing two for your own. Um uh, it's similar but different. Uh so I like that. Um I like that uh plus two attack die was crazy good and I'm glad they took that away. Um these objectives are still really strong so it's nice to see that but uh it's a lot less uh crazy but the one thing to note with this is it'll really help weaker um the fact that you pick one to place on your opponent makes it really good to have units without any of these keywords cuz i like oh your unit has sundering i'm going to if i get to pick first i'm going to pick the sundering card and put it on a unit that has sundering oh, you picked whatever, okay, I'm going to then take this Vicious one and put it on the, your unit that already has Vicious. I You, you could essentially allow your opponent to pick uh, at least one of these cards and give it to a unit that already has that special rule. So I think uh, it'll really help whoever gets to um, place the first one. So it, it beginning with the first player, so I would almost even say that it should probably be opposite. It should be beginning with the second player because picking the first one is more powerful. And first player obviously is already getting to pick to go first because they pick first or second. So they're choosing first turn um, knowing that that benefits them. So I would almost say allow the second player to pick uh, the objective first Um, but that would be the only thing I would change. What do you think, Craig?
3: Yeah, um, the objective cards are essentially a free attachment, more or less. So instead of getting the Mm -hmm. two dice, you're just getting a free attachment, which I think is a decent change because, I mean, before we would tailor lists, like, oh, well, take a bunch of Zerkers and Tully Cav, and so which unit are you going to give plus two dice to? you know so. yeah
0: especially berserkers with a number champion i mean catlin them and now you're at 14 dice is is ridiculous yep so i but mean yeah, they yeah. really
3: moved that out and they're still strong so i and everything else stayed the same so i i like what they did with this one
0: agreed i so with that said to kind of wrap up all of these i think uh they're all amazing. They're all really good. Only a couple with very, very small uh, critiques. Very, very small. And the only okay critique, I would say, is dark, week, dark Wings, Dark Words, with the fact that there's just so many ways to score. But overall, I think they did an amazing job on you know all these 10 objectives, along with the objective cards and mission cards. So I... I have to commend Seaman there, and I'm excited to play all these missions. I kind of run short on time there, so I'm going to wrap up with uh, a couple of shout outs. So, if you guys haven't already, you know, like, uh, follow, and share our page where, uh, wherever and whenever possible. You can find us on the Song of Ice and Fire Guild.com, blogtalkradio.com, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, yeah, the best thing you can do for us is definitely just uh, like, follow, and share. Now get the word out there that we have our show, which we do every other Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time and every other Sunday at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, which sometimes could be 3 p.m. It just depends on we're going to try to shoot for 4 p.m. every other Sunday, but it might turn out to be 3 p.m. So uh, with that said, you know, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, It was definitely a longer show and um, we appreciate all of you. This is a small council radio and it is dismissed.